reading from the New King James Version. Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm, and carry them to his, in his bosom, and gently lead those who are with young. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. Isn't it a beautiful thought that the Lord gently leads those with young? This is the passage that Jesus was quoting from and referring to in John the 10th chapter as referred to himself as the Good Shepherd. It's a beautiful thought to think that the Good Shepherd has a special gentle care for families with young. Uh, to all of our mothers, many of you have been mothers for decades and decades and others for a short while and some for only a few months and others, uh, we give honor to the memory of a wonderful mother. Uh, we, we are thankful to God for the blessing that God has given us in the design of the home and the way He created for us to share in relationships and especially that relationship of motherhood. What a blessing that is in our lives. If you're visiting with us this morning, again, we welcome you. There's a little boy that had in his backyard a lake, and he had dove off of the dock there and is in southern Florida, and his mother looking out the window to her shop, there was an alligator in the lake, and she began screaming for him to come back, come back. And the little boy did turn back, and he started swimming, and the mother started running, and the alligator started swimming, and they all met at the dock. The alligator had a hold of the little boy's foot and the mother had a hold of his arms and it began to be a vicious tug of war, violence on one end and love on the other end. And finally a farmer driving down the road stopped and he pulled a gun out of his truck and he ran over and he shot the alligator. Weeks later, the boy was somewhat proud of the fact that he could show off such scars. As a matter of fact, a reporter had come by the hospital and he was showing them the scars that the alligator had left on his foot. And then, with a twinkle in his eye and a little bit of change of his voice and the tone of his voice, he showed the reporter, he said, and look at these scars from my mother's fingernails. She loved me too much to let go. What a beautiful thought. Doesn't that describe the love of a mother? She loved me too much to let go. But isn't that a part of the challenge of motherhood? I'm sure that mothers do love their children for the most part too much to let them go, at least on most days. But the problem is the way God has designed motherhood is that there has to reach that point in time where all of the love and the nurturing that they have given them is literally for the purpose of letting them go. And when we think of that from a spiritual application, it becomes even more important. We're reminded of the story that we just read recently in our daily Bible reading, the story of Hannah who her grief was so deep as she was barren. She prayed fervently for a child and she promised God in a vow that she would give that son back to God and offer him in service to God. And when that little boy Samuel was born to her, after that boy was weaned, she took that little boy back to the temple and she offered him back to live there, to be raised by Eli and to serve God in service. Now as we think about that, we are revealed... Uh, a w beautiful story of, of how, yes, we do receive children as a gift to give them back to God. 
this morning as we think about the real mother. Please stand up. Do you remember that story over in 1 Kings, the third chapter? If you will, turn there. And if you'd like to follow along in the Bible that's in the pew with you there, it's on page 303 and 304 in the pew Bible. This is a story that a big reason why I wanted to go back to this story is because right now in our daily Bible readings, we're going through the kings. And this is a story where we see Solomon, a young man, but a young king, that felt a heavy responsibility of judging the people. And as all these matters were brought to him, he wanted to judge in a righteous fashion. He was humble. He was dedicated to God. He did not use his position to exalt himself or to make it about him, and especially not in his youth. And so he is offered by God a wonderful offering through a dream that he was having. If you'll notice there in your Bible, in the third chapter in verse 5, that Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask, what shall I give you? Now that sounds almost like the stories that, that we hear that are jokes, doesn't it? Where someone's walking along on, on the beach, and they pick up a bottle, and they uncork it, and a genie comes out and says, I'll give you one wish. What do you want? Except this isn't a joke. This is reality. God is coming to him and saying, Solomon, ask. I'll give you something. Just ask me whatever you want. And because of his position, because of his love for God and the people, notice what he says in verse 9. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that humble? Lord, I want to be able to understand the people. And I want to be able to understand them and how to discern between righteousness and wickedness. Anytime I give someone leadership and I give them advice, Lord, I want to be able to know what to say that is your word. What a beautiful request. God was so pleased with his request saying many people would have asked for riches, for the life of their enemy, or for long lives themselves. But since you didn't do that, God said... I'm going to give you the wisdom. And his wisdom would succeed, supersede all men of his day. But he says, I'm also going to give you those other things also. Now, the way the scriptures are recorded, God chose to give us a story that would immediately follow this story. And this story would show us the wisdom of Solomon. And then also in this story that shows us the wisdom of Solomon, we're going to see the unselfish love of a mother. Again, I hope you have your Bible open. Look with me at verse 16, and let's see this story as it unfolds. Now, two women who were harlots came to the king and stood before him. And one woman said, Oh, my Lord, this woman and I dwell in the same house, and I gave birth while she was in the house. Then it happened the third day after I'd given birth that this woman also gave birth, and we were together. No one was with us in the house except the two of us in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. So she rose in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while your maidservant slept and laid him in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I rose in the morning to nurse my son, there he was dead. But when I examined him in the morning, indeed, he was not my son whom I had born. And the other woman said, no, but the living one is my son, <clears throat> and the dead one is your son. 
And the first woman said, no, but the dead one is your son and the living one is my son. Thus they spoke before the king. Now you may know the rest of the story and I'd almost invite you to just forget the rest of the story for a moment. What would you do? You have two harlots, you have no witnesses. You have one deceased baby, you have one living baby. Both are claiming the living baby. We're not talking about how would you divide a few bushels of grain if they were arguing about possessions. We're not talking about how would you divide the boundary line if they were arguing about land or property. We're not even at this point even talking about something that in a sense would be about their reputation. We're talking about a mother and her child. What would you do if you were Solomon? Have you ever heard the expression, we need the wisdom of Solomon? I hope when you find yourself in such difficult situations that you'll realize that that's what we do need because the wisdom of Solomon came from God. And we really make a mess of our life whenever we do not seek God's wisdom. And surely mothers would agree that there's a lot of wisdom that's needed in order to raise children and to be a grandmother like God would want you to be. Here is a king that's influencing the lives of people. He has decisions to make and he needs wisdom. And now we see a proof of God's wisdom working in him. In 23, the king said, the one says, this is my son who lives and your son is the dead one. And the other says, no, but your son is the dead one and my son is the living one. The king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king. The king said, divide the living child in two and give one half to one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was living spoke to the king, for she yearned with compassion for her son, and she said, Oh, my Lord, give her the living child, and by no means kill him. But the other said, Let him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him. The king answered and said, Give the first woman the living child, and by no means kill him. She is his mother. And when all of Israel heard of the judgment which the king had rendered, they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was with him to administer justice. Can you imagine how beautiful the words were as she heard, she is his mother. What we see here is an unselfish love. You see, the mother was willing to take this to the higher powers. She was willing to go to the highest court in the land. She wasn't willing to just look over to a friend that was living with her and say, okay, okay, if you want my son, you can have my son. No, if it meant ending friendships, if it meant taking it to whoever it had to be taken to, she goes, and notice, she's the one that's making the case. She is the one that's standing before the king saying, let me tell you the story. In other words, she's saying, I'm going to do everything that I can do to get my son back. And then finally, when the greatest act of unselfishness perhaps that could be displayed in this type of story, when the sword was drawn out, imagine this, mothers, she's willing to give up her son so that he can live. The unselfish love of a mother who gives up so much for the betterment of the child. 
You know, that reminds me sometime of situations where adoption is the best option. Where because of things in the life of the woman, it's just not best for her to raise that child. And you say, what kind of love moves a woman to give her child up for adoption? Many times it's the kind of love we've just read about. Where that mother says, I'd rather my child have the life that my child needs than all that I can offer them. Unselfish love of a mother. Or perhaps you were blessed with a godly mother and you saw the unselfish love of a mother on a daily basis. You saw her give of herself, of her time, of her energy. And our life reflects that and our life lives in appreciation of that every day. Oh, the mighty influence of a love that is unselfish, like the love of a mother. As we think of this, I'd like for you to think what this unselfish love is. And if you'd like to be turning to Proverbs, the 22nd chapter. Proverbs, the 22nd chapter, we read a verse, verse 6. It's an interesting little read. But what it reminds us of is that when the love is unselfish, that children are not mother's trophies. Instead, they are the mother's twig. You see, there is a certain bend to every one of our children. And the question is, will the mother take and try to stage that child and try to raise that child in such a way that the mother will win Mother of the Year award? Or will the mother unselfishly do and involve that children in all of the things that are best for that child? In Proverbs, the 22nd chapter and verse 6, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. Think about that for just a moment. Train up a child in the way he should go. So whether it's a son or a daughter, the way he or she should go, that's the way mothers and fathers are to train up their children. I want to ask you something. If you have children at home right now and and you're trying to involve them in certain things, and it might be from an honor roll to a musical instrument to a, a certain sport. It may be all kind of activities. It may be simply trying to uh, memorize things so that long lists and long things can be quoted. I want to ask you for a moment, will you just stop and be real honest with yourself? Why do you want your child involved in all those things? What if we could create an illustration that says no one would ever know this was your child? No one. You can't get any credit. You can't get any praise. Would you still want your child involved in those things? You know, the term that has been coined, it's new to me. I don't know if it's an old term, but it's called stage moms. It's where they want to put their kids upon the stage of life so that they can display all of these abilities and, and all of these achievements. And oftentimes the motive is, I want people to know how good I am as a mother. I want people to know that I'm dad of the year. Hey, anybody that can raise a child like that deserves a lot of credit. Train up a child in the way mom and dad gets all the praise, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. No. That's not what it says. 
raise up a child in the way he should go. How should a child go? When we read in Proverbs, the third chapter, in verse 4 and 5, we see the way every one of us should go, including our children. Trust in the Lord with all thy might, and lean not on thine own understanding. In all of thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct thy path. How do we want our children to go? Leaning upon God, trusting in God, and whatever they do, making sure that that's something that will prosper their life for the glory of God. There is a path that is righteous. And Jesus even calls it narrow. And that path ends at the golden gates and all those that walk that path hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, mothers and fathers. What path are we trying to lead our children on? Is it a path about us or is it a path about God? They're not our trophies. They're a, they're a twig that God has given us that's going to grow into a strong tree. But what's going to be the bend of that tree? As you look at a tree, it's obvious that there are various branches that come off. Do you realize that God has given every one of us a specific gift? I want to read to you what we could have, we could read from many different places in the Bible. 1 Peter, the fourth chapter, I want to read verse 10. And we could read the same thing in, in Romans 12. As a matter of fact, in the month of January, we did do this. You could read it again, maybe that was February. But it was sometime earlier this year. We read in 1 Corinthians 12. We read in Romans, the 12th chapter. We read in Ephesians 4. We read verses like this in 1 Peter 4 and 10. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. What is our responsibility? What's the responsibility of a mother? Shouldn't the responsibility of a mother be... I want to find the way God has blessed this child. What ability has he given this child? And I want to start growing and nurturing that child to fulfill that ability in their life as they serve God. Not, I want to make sure that my child does this because people's children that do that, people usually think a lot of their parents. Friends, there's so many activities that are good to involve our children in. But let's make sure that the motive is always pure. And let's make sure that the direction is always set upon God. I started noticing something several years ago, and I honestly don't know if it's been this way all of my life. In the last several years, when... I preach in a gospel meeting back close to home. And mom and dad are usually able to come over a few nights. I overhear something pretty often. Number one, we're all close to home. Everybody knows everybody. And several times I've heard friends come up to my mother and say, Clara, you must be so proud of your little boy. And you know what her response is every time? I am thankful. You hear the difference? This morning, are you proud of your children? Or are you thankful for your children? When we can say, Lord, I turn them over to you. You're the one that's given the path that they're supposed to be on. 
You're the one that is given the abilities that they have, and I'm just trying to nurture those and bend those the way you've already bent them. I'm just trying to strengthen them. Lord, I can't give them oxygen to breathe. I can't give them good health. I can just give them some of the things that you've taught me as a parent to give them. And Lord, I'm thankful for them. What a difference. Not a trophy, a twig that we have a responsibility to nurture and to bend. With that in mind, I want to also remind you of a passage. If you be turning to 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, it's the love chapter of the Bible. And as we look at this, I'd like to make this point a little quicker, make a second point a little quicker, and wrap this up. The mother's love is to be unselfish, and her children aren't her rerun. They're new programming. I suppose all of us could get wrapped up in the thought of things that we have regrets. And if we were young again, we'd do it a different way. Or we even have some things that we love so much in our youth that we just can't imagine our children not loving those same things. So that's certain activity that was so pleasurable to me. My child has to do that. Or this, this certain involvement. My child has to do that. Oh, I hated that. My child would never want to do that. How about we find what opportunities God is giving our children? How about if we find what abilities God is giving our children and then instead of selfishly living our life back through our children, how about if we say this is new programming? You know, I heard one of the networks advertised the other day for the summer. You know, there's always a lot of reruns. One of them now is advertising we have more new programming than any other network this summer. I hope this congregation has more new programming among their children than any other congregation on this earth where parents, all parents, are just saying, Lord, it's not about me. It's not about reliving my life. Lord, I give them over to you, and I want to strengthen them in living a life for you. Where does selfishness come into this? Notice as we read 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, as we read verse 4, we're not going to read all of this definition, but there's a few in a row that are really powerful as it relates to us understanding this. Beginning in verse 4, describing this love, he says, Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Do you envy your child's youth? Love does not parade itself. You constantly remind your child of what you did as a youth? is not puffed up. Are you constantly making your child's life your life? Does not behave rudely. If we did those things previously mentioned, it would be rude. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked, thinks no evil. Verse 7, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. The unselfish love that in many ways seems to be maternal in mothers, but is fine-tuned and it is such a blessing when mothers are spiritual-minded and realize the direction of their child and totally give that direction over to the Lord. But finally, and as we close this morning, I'd like for you to think with me of the worth of mothers. And their worth is because of the resources. 
When we think about a mother's job being the most important job on earth, it would be because the world's greatest resources are managed by mothers. You remember Psalms 127 and 1, that children are a gift of God? You remember Matthew, the 18th chapter, where Jesus taught that if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to become like a little child? Remember in that same passage I taught, if you give a child a drink of water, you've given me a drink of water. It's the same as giving Jesus a drink of water. Remember when he says, if you offend a little child, that you'd ha- you should have a millstone hung around your neck and drown in the bottom of the sea? Remember how Jesus took little children and put them in his lap and he blessed them and prayed for them? Friends, we don't have to study very deeply to find out Jesus cared for children. There's a great worth on children. The most valuable resources we have are children. You know, Warren Buffett has pretty much become a common everyday name in our society because he's considered one of the greatest investors alive today. Forbes magazine in February named him again the richest man in the world today. $62 billion of assets. When we think of the way he manages this $62 billion of assets, now some debate how maybe his isn't the best way, but no one has proven they can do better. This man is a great success at what he does, but the question is, Is there anybody here that manages something worth more than what he manages? He manages $62 billion in his personal estate, not to mention much more in companies. Yes, every mother here that's still managing their children, they manage something of much, much greater worth. Yes, the beauty of the love of mothers is that they love us so much that they won't let go. But the irony of that is they love us so much that they do let go of us and they put us on God's path and they're thankful, not proud. They're unselfish, not selfish. They don't rerun their life. They support the life that God has designed to live and they realize how important their job is. There's not any job any more important on this earth than to mold the life of a child. You know, when I think about letting go, can you imagine Mary when an angel told her that she was going to have a child? And Luke says she's pondered those things in her heart when the shepherds came by and they gave praise and said that this was the Savior of the world. And then at 12 years old, you remember when they lost him and came back to hunt for him? And and she even said that your father and I were anxious. Why did you do this? He said, don't you know I must be about my father's business? And again, the scripture says Mary pondered those things in her heart. Mothers, can you imagine what she's thinking? Can you imagine how she's thinking? In what way am I going to have to let go of my son? And can you imagine as she stared up when it was dark outside in the middle of the day, And there was her son hanging on the cross looking down. And he says to his best friend, John, your mother. Don't you know that all of those things she had pondered in her heart was still there? She knew full well that her task as a mother was to let go. Thank God for mothers who direct us in the right way And in that sense are willing to let go.
Thank God for mother's love, though, that is always strong and always clinging to us and placing that security in our life. Thank God for a family, God's family, Romans 8, and He wants to invite us and adopt us into His family. The greatest unselfish love that has ever been displayed was the price that was paid for us to be adopted into God's family. This morning, if you're not a part of God's family, the most unselfish love that's ever been displayed is not yet a blessing in your life. It's available to you. Will you respond to it? If you're a believer, willing to repent of sins and confess before me, and won't you be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins? He'll save you. What a beautiful thought. God will save us. He loves us that much. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. If you have been baptized into Christ, but along the way you've lost that way, and you want to return back to it, and you want to trust in God with all of your heart, and stop leaning on your own understanding. If you need to repent and confess sins and pray forgiveness, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand and as we